Now, I'd like to begin reading a very familiar passage of Scripture this evening in John chapter number 6, but I want to encourage you a little bit. Now, I don't buy into all this high-minded psychology stuff, but it's possible that knowing the storms were coming was a little worked a little Freudianly on my mind because I want to preach to you a little bit tonight about times that we have in storms in our life. John chapter number 6, let's begin reading in verse number 16. We'll read down to verse number 24. The Word of God says, And when even was now come, his disciples went down unto the sea and entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid. But he saith unto them, It is I, be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. The day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there, were, that there was none other boat there, save that one wherein his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone, howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias, nigh unto the place where they did eat bread, after that the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for letting us be here. Thank you that there is a place we can gather, Lord, where we can hear your word preached. We can sing the songs of Zion, Lord. We can gain the encouragement, comfort that we need, Lord. Undoubtedly, the most needful moment in our week is these few moments that we spend together on a Wednesday night, Lord. We need it even more desperately, Lord, oftentimes than the, the nourishment we get on Sundays. Lord, we need to be bolstered. We need to be buoyed. We need to be encouraged and blessed through your word, help, strengthen throughout the week. So I pray that you'd use your word tonight and use it mightily in our hearts and minds. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. You know, all throughout scripture, there is no shortage of storm scenes. And I've always found that fascinating, intriguing. Uh, you think about all the things that transpire in the wide world of God's creation. I mean, there's places where it snows just 24 hours a day. There's places where it's dry and desert, where they don't see rain for years on end. Uh, there's places where Tennessee, like Tennessee, where you get all four in one day, amen? And uh, then you have pollen season, where that's the only weather that we have. And, uh, you know, there's all these different sort of myriad eclectic experiences throughout creation. And yet, isn't it fascinating how many times that the Holy Ghost draws our attention upon these moments of, of turbulence, of trial, of upheaval in creation? Could it be, and, I, and I'm just going to go ahead and answer, it certainly is that God knows that you and I, as we live in this world, we're going to face a, a great many of these seasons in our life. Uh, they were talking about tonight having these big storms. I'm looking out that those little skinny windows back there, and maybe it's mayhem on either side of it, but it looks pretty bright and sunny to me right now. Uh, and often that is the case, that you'll have a storm that will blow up in a moment, and it'll be fierce, and it'll pass away. And then we have seasons and times where the rain sets in, and it just stays. And let me say, even that is analogous to our experiences in life. Man, I've had storms that... I woke up one day and the sun was shining bright and everything was fine. And before the night closed, my world was in pieces. And then I've had days where just little by little, cloud by cloud, trickle by trickle, it seemed like the storms came until it was a raging torrent. But it wasn't a, a swift passing thing. It was a settled in long season in my life. In 12 years of pastoring, folks, I've seen people go through all types of storms, quick ones, fierce ones, small ones, long ones. You name it, I've seen people go through them. 
And I'm glad that the Word of God does not ignore these times in our life. The TV preacher would have you believe these times are never going to come. Uh, often the charlatan would have you believe that, that if this happens in your life, it must be because there's something fundamentally broken in your theology or your devotion to the Lord. But the Word of God is honest enough with us as human beings and as Christians to share the fact that even when people know the Lord, love the Lord, and serve the Lord, they're still going to enter into turbulent times in their Christian experience. And so when we come to these moments in Scripture, I think it, it, it behooves us to take a few moments and, and visit them and consider, what could this be saying to my life? Man, it's been said before, and it'll be said again tonight, right now. Uh, it, you're either in a storm, you just came out of a storm, or you're headed into one in your life. You better be ready for these moments. And there's no greater way to prepare ourselves than to study the Word of God and to know how God desires for us to handle things. Listen, I don't just want to survive a storm. I want to glorify God through that storm. I don't want to just barely tread water and make it out the other end. I want God to grow me. I want to get good out of it and Him get glory out of it. And if we're going to do that, we have to know what God expects of us. So notice our text tonight. I want to give you three thoughts and then we'll be done this evening. The first thing that we notice when we approach this text is that the Word of God doesn't simply say a storm began. It begins by giving us some context as to what's happening. And you know why that's important? Because everybody's storm has some context. There are some things very often in our life that are leading up to those moments. It's the reason that sometimes we can sort of see it coming down the pike. And this was no different. We find that the Word of God gives us three things about the setting of this storm that helps us to understand how we're to approach it. Notice, number one, that it happened during a downtime in their ministry. Now you say, preacher, now wait a minute, I've read John chapter number 6 and just a few verses earlier, the Lord Jesus is taking the lunch of a little lad and, and breaking it and feeding 5,000. I mean, there was a lot of exciting stuff going on. Yeah, and all that stuff had just passed. The crowds had milled uh, away. The Lord Jesus and His disciples had taken ship or well, uh, the disciples had and, and moved to the other side and, and no doubt they're exhausted. They're weary. No doubt they feel as though they've done a hard day's work. That's commendable. That's respectable. But listen, I, I sure wish the devil would take it easy on us uh, when things have been rough, when things have been difficult. And I wish he'd take it easy on us when we're on a good streak of serving the Lord. But the reality is often he will take these down times in our lives after great moments of victory, to, to use that as an occasion to afflict us and to tempt us. We could go to the Old Testament for no less great of an example uh, than Elijah. Elijah stands on Mount Carmel and stares down the prophets of Baal. He encourages and exhorts Israel to make finally a decision to put away their idolatry. He builds the altar. And you think about how labor-intensive much of this work would have been uh, that he did. I mean, I know it says that they dig the ditch around, but he was the one that rebuilt the altar, hefting these uh, heavy stones. And he, he prays. And if you've ever really prayed, you know that prayer is no, is no casual affair. He prays. He begs God to intervene and to answer by fire and the Lord does and then he carries out the work of slaying these hundreds of prophets. Uh, then he uh, hears word that a storm is coming and he's got better sense than us Baptists here on Wednesday night I guess because he gets off the mountain, gets down to cover and takes off and he runs all the way to Jezreel and when he gets there the Bible says that when he saw that Jezebel had purpose that she was going to destroy him, when he saw that he fled and went into the wilderness. He goes, he gets discouraged. You know the story as well as I do. He goes and, and, and in discouragement and defeat, he lays down. He asks God just to kill him, that it's not worth going on and living any further. 
Now listen, nothing in your life happens by accident. Why would we think the timing of this moment in Elijah's life was by accident? It wasn't. The devil was waiting for an opportunity when the man of God was worn out, was weary, was was felt like a wrung out dish rag to pounce on him, to use that as an occasion to try to destroy him. It was after a moment of great victory, but after a moment of great exertion. We often think that after God has been doing big things in our life, or maybe we've just been through trials, you know the reality is, and you know this from living here in Tennessee, uh, one storm sometimes don't wait for the other one to clear out before it shows up. The devil is not always going to respect the difficult times. In fact, he never will. He will always seek an advantage over you. It was after a great moment of victory. It was after a great moment of exertion in Elijah's life. And we see the exact same thing here in John chapter 6. The Lord had performed this great wondrous miracle. But don't ever forget who the waiters were that day. The disciples are tasked with going and distributing uh, this food to 5,000 hungry people. You say, preacher, I couldn't even imagine that. Sign up back there to be a server at the ladies' tea. Amen? I shouldn't have said that. We ain't going to have nobody sign up now. You'll know what it was like. I can just, I, I can see it. I can see it in people sitting around saying, Peter, more bread here, you know. And uh, they had for hours been working and laboring about this business, this thankless business. Not that the Lord was not grateful, but undoubtedly the people, and you know how folks are when they're hungry, undoubtedly it was not something that they were heaping applause and praise upon the disciples. Rather, probably at the end of all this, they feel threadbare and worn out. And that's the moment that the storm comes. We often think that we're going to get some repose, some respite, some opportunity to sit back. But the truth is, those are the very moments that the devil targets. We see that it was a downtime. And then the Bible says in verse 17, they entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was now dark and Jesus was not come to them. It's amazing. And and I understand the Bible's not a book of poetry and it's not a work of literature. It's a work of divine revelation. And yet, as is always true with the word of God, you know, it's not a science book, but it's science is immutable. It's not a history book, but its record is impeccable. And it's not a literary work, but its literary qualities are beautiful. Isn't it interesting the way it says it was dark and Jesus was not come to them? There's this amazing parallel here between physical darkness or environmental darkness and spiritual or psychological darkness that they were facing. It was dark, not just because the sun had gone down, but because the sun had gone away. They couldn't understand what was transpiring. In fact, I would say this, we probably would not judge them harshly had they felt hard towards the Savior over there. They could have rightly said, and they would have been wrong in the broader sense, but they would have understoodably, understoodably, that's a good George Bush word, isn't it? They would have understandably thought to themselves, he's abandoned us at our greatest moment of need. It was a downtime, but it was a dark time. And it was dark, not just because it was atmospherically dark, but because something was occurring that they could not explain and they could not understand. I don't know if you expect that God's always going to give you a debriefing on your problems, but rarely is that the case. Uh, One of the little devotionals that we write, and I came across it the other day when I was doing some work, uh, is on the book of Job, and it's on the topic, the subtext of suffering. You look at the life of Job, and I've reminded of this often, you of this often, but let me remind you again, uh, Job had a lot of blessings in his life. Job had vastly more wealth than probably any other man that lived. 
He had a family, and there's much we don't know and understand about Job's family, but undoubtedly it was a family that he cherished, that he loved. It was a family that had some semblance or concept of, of honoring him and a, and a family that he uh, held dear to his heart. He had a wife. We're awful hard on Job's wife. I think Job's wife loved him, and I, I don't think she was wise in, in her counsel that he should curse God and die. He wouldn't have rebuked her as a foolish woman for saying that had it been a wise statement. But I do believe it was well intended. I believe she really believed if he cursed God, he would have died, and she didn't want to see her husband suffer uh, needlessly. He was a man with, with power. He was a man with popularity, prominence, uh, prosperity, position, all of these things. Can I tell you what Job didn't have, though? He didn't have the book of Job. We read it, and God is so gracious in knowing our weakness in dealing with our trials that he gives us the first two chapters first. If it was a Hollywood movie, you wouldn't have found out about the first two chapters till the end of the book. But God, knowing his people in the midst of their suffering, and by the way, isn't it interesting that the very first book that the Holy Ghost ever put into the pen of man to pin down wasn't about salvation, wasn't about justification, wasn't about the incarnation, wasn't about soteriology or homardiology or eschatology. It was about suffering. Could it be that God knew there's going to be some storms in our life? And we get the benefit when we read the book of Job of reading the first two chapters first. And so we know this subtext. We know all these things going on behind the scenes. But Job never had that benefit. In fact, as far as we know, Job never knew about those things till he got to heaven. He had to go through his suffering in darkness. And that, by the way, was his chief complaint. That he couldn't understand God. He couldn't find Him. He'd look on one side, on the other, in front, in back. He couldn't locate the Lord no matter where he looked. And he said, if I could find him, I'd make my petition before him. I would order my plea. I'd order my cause before him. But the truth of the matter is, it is inherent in our moments of darkness because in our moments of storms, there are moments of faith. And where faith operates, we must of necessity operate in darkness. Faith is not about that which we see and divine and discern can unpack and organize neatly. Faith is about trusting God when we can't figure out what's going on. Are you willing to trust Him when you're in the dark? Because if you're not willing to trust Him in the dark, you're really not willing to trust Him at all. You're willing to endorse His decisions. But are you willing to trust Him when you can't make sense out of what He's doing? This was a moment that was dark for them. It was atmospherically dark, but undoubtedly it was spiritually dark. Jesus should have been there in their minds. If ever there was a time, in their minds they needed Him more in the storm then they needed him when they were serving. They needed him at this moment. We understand that he was there because he's everywhere, and we understand that he was watching them at all times. But in that moment, they didn't know any of that. And there's going to be times you're going to sit and you're going to wonder and you're going to say, you know, why can't I find God in what I'm going through? Just know you're not the first person. It was a downtime. It was a dark time. But then notice what verse 18 says. This is interesting. The sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. Now, I thought about that statement. And, you know, the Holy Spirit does not, he's never superfluous in, in the inspired record. He doesn't tell us things that we don't need to know. He tells us only that which we need to know. By the way, let me just go a step further and, and hear me carefully. I don't want you to think I mean this irreverently. I mean it in a reverent way. The Holy Spirit's not stupid either. When it says that a great uh, that the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew, can I just ask you a simple question? Under what other conditions would the sea arise? What else would cause this storm to, to drive up? In fact, definitionally speaking, a storm is when the winds 
whip the sea up into a frenzy. So why does the Holy Ghost go out of his way to emphasize what is a basic, obvious, on-the-face fact of the natural world? Could it be he's trying to remind us of what the reason or source of all of our storms are? You see, uh, men can manipulate, they can move, they can attempt to control the waters, but nobody but God controls the wind. Nobody could have done that but the Lord. You know, we don't like this. I don't like it. You don't like it. You're not going to like it when I say it, but it's true, so I'm going to say it. The fact is, God's the one that brings these storms into our life. We'd love to blame it on the devil, and certainly the devil will delight in our suffering, and he will seek an advantage over us. We'd like to blame it on people's foolish decisions, and undoubtedly often people's foolish decisions contribute to the suffering we go through. But at the end of the day, God's not bound. And everything that God allows in your life, it's there because he allowed it in your life. And you're either going to resolve yourself to that fact early on in your storm, or your storm is going to be a lot harder than it has to be. The sooner you remember God permitted this, doesn't mean that he takes pleasure in it, but it does mean he is providential over it. And he's permitted this in your life. You say, preacher, I don't know why God would do this. Well, I don't always know why he would either. But I know he's never done anything without a reason. I know he's never let anything slip from his control. So if it's entered into your life, then like it or not, and it buffets our flesh, it prompts us and charges us to faith. We have to be reminded of where these storms come from. It was a downtime and a dark time, but don't forget, it was a divine time. God was working as surely in this storm as he had been in the provision that he had given when he was on the shore. We like to imagine that our storms happened because God messed up. We wouldn't say that. But somewhere in the darkness of our mind, our flesh whispers that to us. Something went wrong. Something went awry. That's why this is happening. An injustice has been done to you. An unfairness has come your way. But the fact is, God is as providential in those dark times, those difficult times, as He is during the, the sunshine times, during the pleasant times, during the blessed times. And if our faith cannot land at that at that answer at that solution at that resolve then we have to seriously question what the basis of our faith is if our faith in god can only weather god being good to us then is it faith in the first place job says hey listen shall we receive good at the hand of the lord and not evil he's not talking about evil in the sense of of, of moral unrighteousness but he's talking about unpleasantness undesirable things painful things, things that we don't look for, things we don't long for, things we sure enough don't pray for. But Job says, but here it is, and I'm either going to get mad at God or I'm going to lean into God, one of the two. Job says, hey, listen, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm going to worship Him. Though He slay me, yet will I trust in Him. I'm going to bless Him. One of the wisest things in the life of Job is that he didn't have to understand God to trust Him. And God didn't have to make sense to him. That doesn't mean it wasn't a struggle for the man. The whole book of Job centers on what a struggle it was for him. But at the end of the day, he resolved himself to say, I'm not God, he is. And I'm okay with that. Most Christians are not okay with that. Or to be real honest, we don't mind subcontracting out the governance of our life to God when we feel like he's doing well. But the moment that he does something contrary contrary to what we really like, then all of a sudden we begin to question whether he's really as all-wise and as all-powerful as he claims to be. I read this quote this week, a person's spiritual maturity is not really disclosed 
until they don't get their way. When a person doesn't get their way, when they're told no, that's when you find out where the depth of their spiritual maturity is. And that reality is no less true when it comes to our relationship with the Lord. So I see the setting of the storm. Let me move on. Notice the Savior in the storm. Verse 19. We see the Messiah unlooked for. The Bible says, So when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid. Have you ever asked yourself, why does the Bible say five and twenty or thirty furlongs? Not a fascinating thing that God leaves some ambiguity to that. Now, remember, uh, though John may not know exactly, the Holy Spirit does know exactly how long it was. And I would say this, that it is not an incorrect statement, be it 25 or be it 30, to say 5 and 20 or 30. In no way does this bespeak any crack in the veracity and integrity of the Word of God. So why does the Holy Ghost leave that ambiguity there? I think he's trying to reveal something about the state of mind that John was in in this moment. John was undoubtedly deeply distracted. When you're rowing for your life, you're not paying attention to the progress you're making. Let me just back up and say, when you're rowing for your life, you don't pay attention to the progress you're making. means very often you don't realize you're getting as far as you are. But it also denotes this, that this was a time when they weren't looking for the Savior to show up. They were just trying to keep the water out of the boat. They were so focused on their problem, they didn't even think to look for the Lord. And yet the Lord shows up in the very midst of it. In the midst of this, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship. And they were afraid. Now let me tell you, if we had our choice, we'd run from our storms. But our text reveals to us that the Lord runs towards them. He's not looking for a way to escape. He's looking for a way to get in the boat. And the question is not whether he'll come to us. The question is when he gets there, are we going to take him as he is and let him into the boat? They probably would have given anything if they knew they safely could have done it if they could have gotten out of that ship and gotten on to dry land. But we find that the answer to their problem was not to will themselves or to row themselves to land. We find I'm getting ahead of myself in my preaching, but later on the Bible tells us that when Jesus gets into the boat, immediately they're at the land. Let me tell you what our gut instinct is. If I row harder or better, I will get out of the storm. But that's not that's not the reality. It's not about us getting out of our storm. It's about him getting in our storm. He shows up unlooked for, comes walking to him. And when he gets to the side of the boat, the Bible says in verse 21, they willingly received him into the ship. And immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. In other words, what this was all about, was them seeing their great desperate need of him and his close proximity and fellowship. I see the Messiah unlooked for. Notice I see the message unasked for. The Bible says this, they were afraid. They didn't ask what was going on. They didn't ask why. They didn't ask anything as far as our record is concerned here. But the Bible says he saith unto them, verse 20, it is I be not afraid. You know, I would imagine if you had taken a poll of the men in that boat and said, you have one question to ask God, what's it going to be? It probably would not have been, who are you? And yet that's the question he answers. They would have probably asked something like this. Why is this storm happening? Where were you? When are we getting out of it? 
How do we help ourselves? How do we rescue ourselves? Or probably most of us, are we going to die in this boat? But he answers not the question that undoubtedly was on their mind, but rather the question that was the deepest need of their soul. They needed to be reminded who he was. See, often when we struggle in the midst of that storm, if we knew when we got out of it, that might not bless us, that might burden us. It might not encourage us, it might crush us. If we knew what we were going to have to go through before things changed, it might shrink our faith. If we if we knew why this was happening, it might embitter our hearts against God. It might make us resentful. And when you look through the book of Job, it's, it's interesting because Job asks all these questions throughout the book of Job. And God shows up and He doesn't answer any of them. He instead shows up and asks a series of some 60 questions about where Job was when this, that, and the other happened and tried to impress upon Job the majesty of his person. The questions we ask are often not the answers that we need, but the answer we need is the one that he'll give us. The answer he gives is, it's me. And if it's me, you have no reason to be afraid. (laughs) Listen, if it's him, we have no reason to be afraid. I see the message unasked for, and then I see the miracle overlooked. The Bible says in verse 21, then they willingly received him into the ship and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. Now, we've already emphasized it. So this little exercise probably will fall uh, dead here tonight. But in most sermons, you could ask the question, what's the miracle in this passage? And people would say things like, well, he calmed the storm. Well, you know, the Bible doesn't actually say that, but there are passages where he does calm the storm. Or they might say something like this. Well, he came walking on the water. And certainly that is a miraculous thing. There are two storm scenes in the Bible. And as I thought about this, I thought about preaching on both of them. And then I thought better of it. And now I'm doing it anyway. But uh, there's two storm scenes in the Bible that have miracles that are often overlooked. One is here in John chapter number 6. And others in the book of Matthew where the Bible says that the boat, the ship was full of water, but it didn't sink. You know, very often we miss the biggest things that God's doing in our storm. It's amazing that nothing more is said about this miraculous transportation, far as we know, from them in the midst of the sea till they're at dry land. You know, we often forget what it was like when God took us out of that storm, don't we? Think back at the storms in your life. I bet you remember them starting. I bet you remember them raging in your life. But I bet a great many of them, you can't remember when they ended. Just all of a sudden it was over. And you can't remember that moment. It's one of the great failures of the human memory that we can forget sometimes the most important of things. I've shared this with you before, but I, I used to be bad about saying when I go to talk to someone, I'm one of those people that I will get your attention because I have a sense that there's something I should be telling you. Anybody else do that? No, just me. That's okay. And I won't know what it is necessarily. I just, I, I, I'm that person that hesitates before they leave the house because I think I must have forgotten something when I really didn't. And oftentimes I'll talk to somebody and I'll say, hey, there's something I was going to tell you, but I forgot. And I used to be one of those people that said, must not been very important or I would have remembered. And the guy said something to me. It's always stuck with me. He said, that's not true, preacher. I forgot all kinds of important things. Uh, the memory, the human memory, the flaw of it, and there's much research and study on it that you can spend time looking at. It's amazing the things the memory can forget. And spiritually speaking, I bet it would be true that there's been some miracles that God's done in your life that you've overlooked. 
you sit there today and your circumstances changed, but you have to rack and search your memory to remember just exactly how God did it. You know, could it be our faith would be bolstered more if we would make record of those things? All through the Old Testament, God invokes His people to make record and remembrance of things that He's done. You know why? Because we forget. And as we read this, how easy it is to be reminded of things that God's done. Do you remember that time when that health scare came up in your life and you really were looking at the prospect of dying and you prayed and asked God to intervene and God intervened? Do you remember that time when you were coming up against it financially and you were facing not just having a short week, not just letting the the KUB lapse, but I mean true financial ruin. And God showed up and somehow made a difference in a way that you can't even altogether recall. We could go on and on with examples, but suffice it to say, God has given us enough testimony of His providence and power that our faith should never run short. He's done enough in our life that we should be able to trust Him. The question is, are we going to recall it? So I see the setting in the storm and the Savior in the storm. And then finally, I want you to notice something. This is another one of these things I think people overlook. When I read this, you know, we think about the disciples in the boat. We think about the Savior walking to them. We certainly think about the storm that's raging about them. But in our text, the Holy Ghost goes out of His way to remind us there were some other people on the peripheral of this that were observing and watching and experiencing this storm scene with them. We could say this, there were some spectators in their storm. Why is it so important that we handle storms the right way? Is it simply because God wants to be pleased with the way that we have responded? Well, certainly that should matter to us, but that's not the singular reason. Is it so that we can prove to ourselves that we're a super Christian, we're capable of handling any and everything? No, in fact, that's what you got out of your storm. You're probably about to go through another one. Why is it so important? Well, one of the reasons it's important is there's other people involved in our storm than just us. Look at verse 22. The Bible says this, the day following when the people which stood on the other side of the sea, saw that there was none other boat there, save that one whereinto his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. And we'll stop our reading there. You know, the Bible says here there were some folks standing on the other side watching. There's people observing how you're going through this. I know it's easy to imagine that's not the case. And certainly, John is so consumed with this storm in that moment, he doesn't even see Jesus walk up and knock on the side of the boat and ask for entrance. But whether you see him or not, be reminded, there are people watching. Man, it weighs heavily on my mind as a young father. I mean, I'm not young anymore, but my kids are young. So uh, thinking about them watching me. And every once in a while, you get a reminder of how closely they watch you, especially when they say something embarrassing to people. Amen. And uh, Larry, you're still do that to you. <laughs> We're reminded here in this passage that, and I'm reminded daily, man, there's folks watching how we're living. They're watching how you're living, they're watching the choices you make. They see whether you're trusting the Lord in the midst of it. They see whether you're cursing the Lord whether you're counting on Him, whether you're frustrated with Him, or whether you have faith in Him, whether you're walking away from Him, or whether you're wanting to get closer to Him through it. There's some spectators. There's people watching the storm. Then the Bible says this in verse 23, Howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias, nigh unto the place where they did eat bread, after that the Lord had given thanks. So in other words, there were some other boats that were crossing the sea on this same night. 
I would say this, there are some folks watching the storm, but don't, don't forget there's some other folks that are weathering the same storm that you're going through. Now you might say, well, preacher, you don't understand the nature of my storm. Nobody knows what's going on. No, and if nobody knows what's going on, what are the chances that you don't know about what's going on in other people's lives too? I will tell you that as a pastor, you get a bird's eye view of people's problems. I, I, I learn about things I wish I never knew about. Things I wish I could forget. Uh, and, and I don't say that in a complaintive way. I'm not trying to uh, say it in a way that, that implies any begrudging. I want people to bring their burdens to me. But I'm just telling you right now, and I've had people come to me. There's been times in the past, and I've got a memory. I wouldn't say names. I wouldn't mention it. Not that it would affect anybody in this room, but just for discretion's sake, I wouldn't. But I remember years ago having a church member come to me to complain about somebody else's behavior. And, buddy, I mean, they just gave this person up the rug. And they had no clue the battle that that person was going through. When I tried, and I didn't really share any of what that person was going through, but I just tried to just gently remind them that people are facing things that they don't know about. Their, their attitude was sort of rebellious and defiant. Well, preacher, I've been through things too. and That's the exact kind of person that you don't want praying for you when you're going through a storm. This person had no clue what this other person was going through. And I will tell you, just as somebody that oftentimes knows more than he wish he did, uh, very often you don't know the things that people are going through, the things they're experiencing in their life. You say, well, preacher, I'm the only one going through it. No, it's a big old wide, it's a big old wide sea. And there's other people going through things. And guess what? They're watching you. It's interesting to think about them watching these men row and gaining courage in the midst of their storm. Saying to themselves, if they didn't quit, then I won't quit. And you know, there's people that are saying to themselves, as long as, listen, as long as sister so and so don't quit, I'm going to keep going. As long as brother so-and-so keeps going, I'm going to keep going. If they can do it, I can do it. And I take courage from them. There were some folks weathering the storm. But then the Bible says this, when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for seeking for Jesus. Now, if you've read any commentaries on uh, the uh, geography of the Bible and the ecosystem of, of, of the land of the Bible, you know that it was not a terribly uncommon thing for storms to blow up on the Sea of Capernaum. It's a very, just due to the to the wind paths of that particular part of the world and the Mediterranean and, and, and the force of the winds that come off of it, it was a very treacherous body of water. And we're told here that there were some folks that when they couldn't find Jesus, they climbed into a boat and started to sail the exact same path that the disciples had come from. Now, I don't know, I have no reason to believe that they sailed into any kind of storm similar to what the disciples did. But it is entirely possible that that is the case. And you know, isn't it interesting that the Holy Ghost leaves us in that place in this passage? Saying this, here's some people that are going through a storm. Here's some people that have just gone through a storm. And here's some people getting ready to set out for sale and they don't know whether a storm's coming or not. In other words, there's people watching the storm, weathering the storm. But there's also people that are waiting on the storm. People that are headed into it. I heard a preacher preach a few months ago and he was preaching on the children of Israel going through the Red Sea. And, you know, he described the uh, vast length of that of that procession that would have 
taken place, how that it would have been miles and miles long. And he talked about what it would have been like to be in the middle of that body of people moving through and, uh, you know, going through and, and it's a wall of people behind you. You can't go back and it's a wall of people in front of you and you can't go forward. But he described what an encouragement it might have been if word had reached them from some folks that just stepped up onto the shore and reminded them that there was a path forward and that they had made it out. Sending word back down the line to let those further back know, hey, listen, I know it looks like there's no escape now, but pretty soon you're going to step out of the midst of this trial. There's folks getting ready to go through things. They don't even know it. I don't know it either. How could we? We don't know. We don't know the end from the beginning like God does. But we do know that for every single end, there was a beginning first. And for every end of a storm in your life and in my life, it began somewhere. And the next storm that's going to end is going to begin. Say, so, preacher, what does that mean? Well, it reminds us that there's storms coming in our life. When they begin, take encouragement that if it began, it's going to end too. But know that there's people that are just getting ready to step into their own trials and they're watching your testimony. They'll gain encouragement from how you face this storm. Let's bow together tonight as a musician comes to play. I want to give you an opportunity to talk to the Lord tonight. And uh, listen, I know it's been a low-key night. I know there's folks that couldn't make it out this evening. But the Lord showed up and He desires to do something in our hearts. And so I encourage you, listen, don't, don't let this opportunity pass by. If God spoke to your heart about something maybe that you've just gone through, something that you're right smack in the middle of, or you can see the clouds gathering, and there's some things coming your way, why don't you meet the Lord in the altar tonight and make your mind up that you're going to trust Him, you're going to rely on Him, and you're going to seek Him in the midst of this storm. Father, bless this time. We ask it in Christ's name.